But we sat on the couch and, and watched our NFL games and watched our soap operas and let, let these professional politicians take over the, the control of the elections. If possible, I'd like to hang on one second. I'm going to patch uh, Hagen in. Hang on one sec. Hagen, you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, we've got on the phone uh, three gentlemen from Maine, Phil, Gary, and Jack, and then we've got Justice Doucette from Colorado and you and I. And uh, I'm just giving them a little bit of an overview of what we're doing in in Florida, and please chime in at any time you feel uh, that I'm missing anything or would help. So... Uh, we did the supervisor of elections uh, presentment, acquiesced, and therefore um, we now know and we have the evidence of the unconstitutionality of the election process and that it's up to we the people now. And especially when you look at the elections coming up in 2020, say, uh, it's going to be very important that we go around to our 67 counties and and educate folks on the need for we the people to stand up. But then uh, what we learned as we got organized, we did a deep dive on the Magna Carta. We learned that there's four critical articles in that Magna Carta to today's problems. They're in chapter 14, 48, 52, and 61, 61 being the main one for the grand jury. But we, we also learned from the research that folks in Michigan did they went all the way back to the Mayflower, and they asked the fundamental question, when we the people need to take a governance decision, is there a pattern? What did we do? And sure enough, they found a pattern. It's quite simple. We the people meet in assembly. Not the Republican Party, not the Tea Party, not the Libertarian or Democratic Party. It's we the people in assembly. So in essence, to exercise the, the right of self-governance, we just have to advertise a public meeting and invite everybody. Whoever shows up gets to take the decisions, and those decisions are the orders direct from the voice of the people to the county government. It's as simple as that. And then when there's any non-compliance, you take the non-compliance and give it to your statewide grand jury or your county grand jury, if you're fortunate enough to have a county one, for appropriate corrective action. With that, I'd like to stop and ask if you have any questions. Um, I do have a uh, – this is Phil. Um, I have a problem here. Um, you say to go to the state or to the state's grand jury. We tried that. Um, first of all, we don't know who the grand jury is. And um, the person who was leading this charge uh, passed away. But before he passed away, uh, he put articles in the newspapers. We put out feelers to the sheriff's departments, 
and several other places, and we weren't able to get through to the state grand jury. Do you have any idea as to how that might take place? Yes. What happens is, at least in Florida, we we have a situation where the government has hijacked the grand jury. Okay? Right. And in Florida, it's under the control of the state attorney. And it's unconstitutional, it's unlawful, but it isn't the people's grand jury, it's a statutory grand jury. Mm -hmm. And they never get 25. In Florida, they stop at 23 members. So it's never an official Magna Carta, foundation of the Magna Carta, 25 people. They purposely control it from the statute's point of view. So what we've done in other states, uh, Colorado, Michigan, et cetera, is we set up our people's grand jury. And it's a common law grand jury. And it's up and running in parallel. See, there's, there's no way that they could shut down the people's right to their own grand jury. In fact, uh, it, it preceded the Constitution. There's a book that you can get online and read it online called The People's Panel. And that covers the history of the grand jury in North America from 1640 to 1940. The people's and I panel. have the copy. I can send the link to both Jack and Phil to look at it. I browsed through it today. Continue. Okay. Okay, and now I want to so, ask a question. Okay, so just one, let me finish. So in essence, what, what you have is states that are standing up their grand juries and they're running in parallel with the government grand juries which are not grand juries. They are not lawful grand juries, I yield. Okay. I, I get the, I understand the parallel grand jury. I understand the power of the grand jury. But I also question the enforcement. You, you have no teeth. Your grand mm -hmm. jury has no teeth because there's no constitutional sheriff and there's no constitutional state militia. You Roger, may I respond to that? Sure. Enforcement's a key issue. Go ahead, Bruce. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not exactly correct. Um, here in Colorado, we've had our grand jury up and running for um, a lot of years. And uh, the grand jury has indicted the governor uh, of the state, the secretary of state, um, a lot of our state officials, um, and a lot of our, our uh, county and judges. And we are finding, we also do something where we produce uh, uh, a, um, oh gosh, what's it called? Uh, Roger, help me out. Um, our fraud notice. Notice, notice of, fraud. of fraud. Yeah, notice of fraud. We do a notice of fraud, and then um, we'll actually bring these judges and stuff um, before the grand jury and indict them. And we're finding out here that at least the honest judges and stuff, they're stepping down. We've had six or seven of them step down after mm. indictments now. So you can't force them to do it, but the honorable ones that realize that what you're doing is lawful and what they're doing is unlawful, um, they actually will uh, step down. Now, we've also had um, a lot of the judges here, um, gosh, I think we've had, and Roger, you have to correct me, but I think it's four or five now that have um, have stood up and said that they cannot overturn uh, a court of records um, uh, uh, suit signed by a judge. 
because they don't have the authority or the jurisdiction to overturn that. And that was against um, uh, uh, Wells Fargo Bank was trying to do a foreclosure here. And Wells Fargo Bank went to five different judges, and all these judges came back and said, we don't have the authority to overturn this uh, court of records ruling, which is another thing we can talk about. I'm getting a little off subject. Roger, I'll turn it back over to you. Okay. Now, let me also uh, step in. That was Bruce. They they are doing this notice of fraud, and what they're going after is anyone doesn't have their proper oath on time, or proper, uh, I don't understand Bond. the bonding, and uh, yep. the, they are serving notice to the people who are sitting in these seats, and they, they are acquiescing to guilt, and, uh, you know, it's just further more work that needs to be done. But they they've been that's why I brought Bruce on and that's why I got in con- contact with Bruce and Steve Byfield who is a friend of mine. They are that uh they're doing such a good job. I want to bring what you guys are doing here to Maine. Then if I may. So anyways, yeah. I I want to make one more comment to to people so that they realize this that you know if you lawfully want to arrest these criminals at some point these um uh, public officials for for um you know uh the crimes that they're doing you first have to have a lawful presentment from a grand jury and you have to give them a chance to defend themselves so we may not have the enforcement yet and we're working on that with the continental marshals to be able to go in and arrest these people. But before we can arrest them anyway, they have to be indicted, and, and that has to be done lawfully. I yield. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also included to Phil and Jack a copy of your, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Roger? The, you sent it to me, uh, the grand jury and how it works. Grand jury and, homework, yep. Yeah, and that has that stuff in it. Uh, so let us so. let me talk just for two minutes about the enforcement of the grand jury's decisions. There's, there's a seven-step process that we discovered through archaeology, and when you end up with a presentment against a public official, you make the presentment not against the office, but against the individual in their private capacity. Because as soon as a public servant breaches their oath of office, they're no longer in their official capacity. They're operating in a private capacity. So the presentments name them individually in their private capacity. They get 40 days to respond. And usually you get one of three responses. One response is they say, wow, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was creating an injured party. I will stop that behavior and restore the victim right away. That's ideal, but we have, we've yet to see a public official react that way. The second is they might rebut the charges in the presentment. The presentment may be against a John Smith, and uh, the John Smith that was served with the presentment may come back and say, look, here's the evidence. I wasn't even in the state at the time. You must be in a different John Smith. So they could effectively rebut it. If they rebut the charges and it convinces the grand jury that that particular individual is not involved, then uh, they would they would drop the indictment or the presentment against that individual. 
If, however, the argument against the charges was not sufficient to change the grand jury's mind, those are the controversies that have to go to the petite jury of 12 and be decided by trial, by a jury. And then the third, and this is the most likely response, is they acquiesce. After 40 days, they do nothing. They convert themselves by their inaction from being accused to being criminals. And then the last two steps of the process are called a claim of distrain and a distress. And the claim of distrain is where you accumulate all of the damages done to the victims, the injured parties, on a ledger sheet. And the ledger sheet includes the economic damages. And for crimes, it includes jail time coming out of the U.S. Criminal Code, Chapter 18. And then you file that into the public record, and you file it with the insurance company who's the bond, uh, surety bond company. And in theory, and we haven't gotten there yet in Florida, but in theory, um, when, you, when you signed up for a surety bond, you've pledged all your assets to reimburse the insurance company if they ever have to pay a claim. So what happens is the surety bond insurance company needs to pay the claim of the strain and then collect from the public servant. And they could lose all of their assets. So there is still just paper enforcement. You don't even need a badge and a gun. There is paper enforcement. And then distress is a case where the whole community rises up and takes whatever assets necessary to restore the victim. You may have to take possession of some real estate and auction it off. You may have to take an airplane or a boat or something else to restore the victim. So the, the grand jury has the wherewithal once the public official acquiesces to the charges, they can put serious pressure on the assets of the uh, of the public servants, I yield. What do you do when a state does uh, self-bonding? Uh, this is what happens in Maine. Uh, Gary and Jack and I went to the uh, person who um, runs the bond or is in control of the bond. Oh, that's the, the or what was the office? The, uh, I can't remember the office, but um, we, we were told that the state self-bonds. If I may? That's what? Yep, go ahead. Um, here in Colorado, they do the same thing. It's called CTSI, and it's not an official bond. Um, so um, we we go ahead and indict the um, the uh, officials because they do not have an official bond. And if you ever try to collect on one of those uh, bonds from the states, you'll find out that it's not an official bond, and you can't mm -hmm. collect on it. Right. It's an insurance policy for – it's a fraud policy for them – not for the people, I yield. Now, also, Phil asked another question earlier, and I'd like to expound on that. Is about like we took our claim against the House and the Senate. I explained that to you, Roger, uh, to the grand jury, and we couldn't get in. The attorney general blocked us. Uh, we they returned it. Open violation of law. But if we establish the procedure that, yes, the county has a grand jury, we take a claim to the sheriff and say, we want this taken to the grand jury, 
uh, we open it up. That gives us a chance to speak to this grand jury. We can uh, uh, check to see whether they're valid, uh, uh, lawful entities of a grand jury. And if they're not, then we can get those lawyers and uh, others who don't qualify off the seat, fill it with proper Americans, and then proceed with a regular grand jury that they have already set up in the county. Is that a possibility? Well, um, yes, people have talked about that here in Florida. Wouldn't it be cool if we could slip into the existing system, educate those folks about a true grand jury, and then take control? We could not figure out how to do it. it's it's so well locked down. We did experiments to try to penetrate, and it is so tightly controlled in Florida that we could not figure out how to do it. So, if I understand correctly, what you're really saying is you're you're ignoring the unlawful uh, structure that's in place, and you're doing it properly. You don't have any true enforcement, but it's enough to intimidate a few relatively honest judges to step down because they don't want to deal with the embarrassment or the publicity or the notoriety. If I may. Please. Yes. Yeah. Um, You know, early on, one of the things we discovered was the enforcement issue. And I actually have a good relationship with a lot of our sheriffs here in Colorado. I've gone and and personally met with them. And, um, you know, uh, we have chosen – the people have the right to restore the government and to do that any way they see fit. So we have now done something called Continental Marshals that – recently we've had a couple of uh, rocky weeks on this, but – we are forming um, continental marshals that actually swear an oath to protect the people. And so it's almost like a militia, but the, the, um, instead of a militia, the people are actually um, uh, have an oath to protect the people, just like um, our superior court judges and our grand jury administrators do. And, you know, when we can get... Um, you know, probably at least a million of those nationwide and move them around as we need to, then the people will have their enforcement. The government is never going to provide that enforcement for the, gov- for the people. And they already have all of the sheriffs controlled. But a lot of the sheriffs um, are, are willing to work with the Continental Marshals um, knowing that they're lawful and that they're not. Everything we do is lawful and peaceable. We're not trying to start a revolution and, you know, see bloodshed and stuff like this. We're trying to restore our government and to do it in a peaceable fashion. I yield. Okay. My question question to Bruce, uh, if I may. However, we don't have a moderator and we should. Uh, When – oh, shoot. You know how those fleeting thoughts – I'm going to have to grab that thing back here again. (laughs) Uh, That's all right. Um, it's called some timers. It's called some yeah. timers. Yeah, chemtrails, you know, aluminum. Steve Curry is if talking about. No, wait a minute. Let me finish okay. the question. Yep. Then you yep. can Go ahead. Sure. Uh, Steve Curry is talking about having their group that, in communication with Donald Trump's 
uh, administration. And Donald Trump gave this country back to the people. And that's why I'm getting excited about trying to get something going that we can go on those terms. This is our country. The president announced that it's back in our hands, the real country, uh, real America. Uh, what Do you know what progress Steve is working with? With the uh, Trump and his administration, uh, I'm I'm not aware of any progress that he has made. I know that that um, you know we're working on that as well. I don't agree with everything that um, that Mr. Curry and Judge Anna do, um, and I'll state that up right from the get go. Um, there's there's some problems when when you have somebody that swears an oath to protect the people and is more interested in protecting um, you know, the, the people doing harm than the people themselves that have been harmed, then I lose all respect for them. So I'm, I'm not aware of what um, Judge Curry is doing. Roger, maybe you can speak on that more than I can. But yeah, do we have right a now, movement working? Right now we do, not, we do not have a direct connection into Trump's administration. Steve sent his latest uh, Capture the Flag initiative into Trump, asking Trump to consider making it an executive order. Because what, we've, what his research found, and I'll be happy to send this to you guys if you haven't seen it already, Dwight Eisenhower in 1959 issued an executive order that the yellow fringe flag is only to be used indoors in court martials. So it is not a proper flag for our country. It does not uh, meet the requirements of, of a flag for our country. And therefore, uh, by Flag Day, June 14th this year, there's an initiative to, to wake up a lot of counties and and force that flag out. Uh, Hagen, can you mention a couple things about what you guys are doing in Marion County? Yes, we are we are um, educating the county commissioners on the fact that the gold fringe flag is in fact an admiralty flag, and under the uh, 1959 Executive Order 10834 of President Dwight D. Eisenhower, he stated that that flag resembles the American flag, but but is a military flag. Uh, but there's other information. That shows that it's a it, it, there's two uses for the gold fringe flag. The one is being carried by dismounted troops uh, marching or whatever. The other is a vessel traveling in a foreign country flies the gold fringe flag because it it, it it displays this ship is traveling under international jurisdiction from the United States uh, and the law of the the captain, if you will, of the ship. Is uh, has to be accepted by anyone who contracts with him or any of his agents. So it's not the proper flag uh, uh, for the people on the land jurisdiction. It's the Admiralty Maritime Jurisdiction. So we're educating them, and we're beginning to make a little bit of progress. Now, it's, a, it's very difficult because these people have been mind-conditioned, and they have lawyers sitting there um, who is hiding the truth from them. So we are continuing to work in a peaceful manner to educate them as best we possibly can. 
and we know that we actually moved the ball forward today in the county commissioners meeting, and we also got them to uh, move two things forward that they kept kicking down the road, for example, on the medical marijuana. Now, it's my understanding, I want to ask a question if I may here, um, uh, uh, Jack and uh, what's the other fellow's name? Bill. Bill. Jack, Bill and Jerry. Bill and Jerry, okay. Uh, I, too, I, too, I saw on the, the website here on the uh, Internet that uh, you guys, one, at least one of you guys, I think, was a, a uh, representative in the 2009 Continental Congress. Is that correct? That would be That's Jack. Jack. Okay. Jack McCarthy. I, too, was. Okay, thank you. Uh, Jack, I, too, was from Pennsylvania. I was one of the delegates there. Uh, I remember Pennsylvania. you. Okay, thank you. And, and you know, I've kept on doing these things and learned an awful lot. Matter of fact, when I went there, I thought that I was going to be very instrumental with my knowledge that I already had acquired, and I realized when I got there just how little I knew and how much I was to learn uh, through that process. And and I wouldn't trade that for nothing. I've reiterated that to Roger and many other people, but it's such a tremendous experience. Hagan, I, I have said exactly those same words repeatedly. I, I was I felt I thought that I actually knew something, but uh, after being there for a couple of days, I realized I was an ant among giants. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> they were great, but great any, guys. Great guys. Yeah. Anyhow, now I just also to want to mention too. Jack had one other thing that he keeps saying about the Continental Congress. You want to relate that? that? Say, would you say uh, having the enforcement? Oh, yeah. Uh, Hagen, as we were doing all this, um, and, and everything that was done, I thought was done extraordinarily well, but I'm, I'm kind of impatient. And repeatedly I asked, when do we get to the or else phase? You're writing all these things and all these good, good documents and all these, this, this well-worded and, and, very, and very just uh, enlightening stuff. When do we get to the or else phase? What happens when they ignore this? Well, we've got to do this first. Well, what happens when we, when they, when do we get to the or else phase? Well, we'll get to that the last day or two. Guess what? We never did because two very nice lawyers caused the problem. Orly Tates and the lady from Connecticut, both of whom I have a lot of respect for, but because of their legal standing, they wouldn't sign the document, which made everybody very jittery. Remember? Yes, I, I do. Uh, I don't know if you recall, but I only spoke two times very briefly, and the one time that I spoke, I said about the life issue, which got left on the table, that I would not sign it myself without dealing with that issue. And I'm a firm believer, and I believe at that time and still do, that it failed because we did that. We were punished. God does his thing, and we don't have any power over it. So we left one of his issues on the table and did not deal with it, and, and I believe it was it was doomed from that point. Um, another problem that we had when I went there, uh, thinking uh, you know that I was going to puff my chest and, and, and teach people some things, I went up to Bob Schultz and I said, Bob, you haven't uh, advertised this. People don't know about it, and without the participation of the people. I don't believe we'll be effective with the time that we're going to spend here. And, of course, I don't know if you noticed, but I did not get chosen for any of the committees. And um, he was very angry at me for saying that. 
but that was fine because uh, like what we're doing right now uh, with the assemblies of the people, we're beginning with the assemblies of the people and creating our grand juries in our counties and our statewide grand juries, and that is all lawful, it's all peaceful. But at the same time, we don't leave any any stone unturned, so to speak, like we did there. Um, there was a lot of great people, awesome people. You know, I just I just love the fact that I met so many of you guys up there and, and got to work with you on the things that we did. But I do believe that our problem was leaving God's work on the table. You know, who do we think we are to do that? So uh, with that, I yield. If I may. Um, I'd like to make a point that's a subtle but very, very important point. When they took over the government with these corporations, what happened to the du jour offices? Where are they? Did they close them down? What happened? And it's Anna von Reese's research and argument that those, those public offices are still there. They're just vacant. So, yeah, that's, so that's long... Right. So long as we, the people, leave them vacant, then they have no excuse, no reason to shut down their corporation de facto government. So Colorado realized that early and set up their grand jury, their court judges on the land jurisdiction, and their marshals. And those are the basic three elements you need to get the du jour up and running. Then we've gone two or three more steps in our thinking, and, and uh, thanks to Hagen's work over the last, say, four to six months, we asked ourselves, how are we ultimately going to move the, con the county back to a constitutional county? And as we pondered that, we were thinking of having a statewide convention, but then we realized that if we did a statewide convention, it wouldn't have a foundation of constitutional counties to rely on. So we said, uh, that's prob probably pretty risky. So what we decided to do was draft a constitution for a county. The constitution for a county that we've drafted is fully compatible with the constitution for the United States of America and the constitution of Florida. And it nullifies at the county borders all of the unconstitutional initiatives coming from the corporate state government and the federal corporate government. So the idea is to get the counties educated enough to get their assemblies going. Once the assembly's going, you know, pick a couple of hot topics and, and deal with those that the people are really interested in getting resolved but then put in front of the, the assembly the draft of the county for a constitution and have them debate it, amend it, and then hopefully ratify it. And for the first time in history, we'll have a written document telling our county government what's inbounds and what's out of bounds. We've never done this. And we searched high and low to make sure that we weren't missing something that would prevent it. And of course, uh, Florida's Constitution, Article 1, Section 1, all political powers inherent in the people. And Article 1, Section 5, uh, that the people have the right to peaceably assemble and to instruct their representatives. Instruct meaning 
tell them what to do. So in essence, we're, we're going down that path. Uh, Marion County, the one that Hagen is in, is our lead county. Uh, April 15th, they're having their second assembly meeting. And initially, you don't get a lot of people, but as we're starting to gain some momentum, uh, Hagen, you were mentioning to me already, you're sensing that we're gaining some, some more people. I yield. Now, I have a question. Uh, was uh, was Hagen going to say something? Uh, Bruce? Okay, I got a question. I've been studying the Quoronto and discovered that uh, it's been done wrong, especially working with uh, John Darish and sending those out. The Coronto is uh, is an old order uh, writ that you apply to a violator of an office. You know, they violate the Constitution or whatever. They're violating their office. And I was reading down through that, and I realized anything that was done at, uh, by John was invalid because they did a blanket of charges. Well, if a per- uh, then when I got down to Section 5, and this is from the Constitution of Society, the document, and at Section 5, it said private corporations. And then reading into that, uh, corporations can sue and be sued as a person uh, through Congressional Act back in like 1850-something or 60. And uh, I'm wondering, I'm looking at it, I am convinced myself that that is a lawful approach to put some teeth into something we do is you serve a Coronto against a violation, a constitutional violation on the corporation and the people in the con- naming the people in the corporations also, or figure you know some sort of conference to figure out how do you lawfully handle that and serve it on them. It, it should be in law, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here. But that because that's basically where my research is stopped. I haven't finished studying. You turn it down a little bit, honey. Any answers to our guidance for the Toronto as a teeth into getting our government to stand down on the corporations and get back to feeding itself? If I, if I may. You may. We just uh, about uh, a month ago uh, issued a uh, uh, command to our county commissioners and the nature of Kowarnto. Now, let me premise that. I used to work with John Darash before National Liberty Alliance ever became National Liberty Alliance. And there was a lot of good people that did work with him, but I'll just tell you about myself for now. When I met John Darash, I saw the New York Committee Men, which is what they were running at the time, on the Internet. And I, I really liked what they were doing, so I, I called him up. And... After talking to him for a bit, we realized that we had a lot in common and that we could work together. So uh, long story short, we arrived one day at a position where he was claiming to have issued a co-warranto. I looked at it, and I said, John, this is not a co-warranto. This is a mandamus. 
and you know you can issue a mandamus. A mandamus is an order to the government to do their job right. A quoranto is prove the authority for what you're doing, or stop it, or resign, or, or whatever the case may be. You can actually remove them from office using the quoranto. <clears throat> so back to the subject. We issued a presentment from our statewide grand jury to the county commissioners in the nature of co-warranto, naming the criminal act that they were doing and giving them the 40 days of Magna Carta to uh, correct what they were doing, and they have not. They've acquiesced uh, because they didn't respond. They didn't deny anything. They didn't show any proof of authority. So now they are in, in default uh, because they have not rebutted anything that we said. So we can now issue the quo warranto to remove them from office lawfully through the courts because we don't really have I, I do believe that we could do it through the common law court uh, which is the superior court of record and that is done by the people that's the power of the people and as uh, U.S. versus Williams made clear that the grand jury is the purview of the people it's not the three branches of government they have nothing in it so using that process, I believe that we can enforce what we're doing. Now, I, I don't recommend, and we're trying not to go to the point of being harmful to people, but more to educate them and get them on the right side and moving our government back centered on the Constitution. So, you know, I think most of these people, like most people that I do meet, are good uh, and well-intended people. Now, I will admit some are not, but... We, you know, you have that in any case, no matter what you deal with. So we are making progress here. We are educating these people. Today we moved them to do two things they didn't want to do, but we did not relent. Uh, we had 12 people there who just one after the other kept going up to the podium and insisting that they obey the will of the people. And the will of the people here in Florida voted for medical marijuana to be used for these people who need it. And I have never used marijuana in my life. I've never used it at all. I haven't used any kind of drug other than prescription drugs for illnesses that I had. And I don't like even doing those, and I made that clear. I said, however, I do not like to watch people suffer as they're dying for, from incurable diseases, or maybe that this stuff would even cure it. If, uh, so what the, will of the what the will of the people have spoken, it is what it is. The people hold all power. And I think we're remiss not using that avenue to enforce our will on government. Now, they are not our lawful government, there's no question. Your point of their being a corporation, is, I believe, is absolutely correct. But they won't admit it. They one time will tell you they're a corporation. Another time they'll tell you they're a statutory form of government. Another time they'll tell you they're a representative republic. You never know what they're going to come out of their mouth because they, like the most of us, are ignorant and have been dumbed down in this great country of ours to the point they don't even know. Now, some of them may know. Uh, there's always an exception, so I'll accept that. But I think for the most part they don't. But as we educate them and bring things back, we will move forward at a slow pace. But we didn't get here at a fast pace. We got here at a slow pace also. So I think now, if, our, I, if I may, uh, Hagen, hold on yes. just a second. Then you can finish. Yes. Uh, if this phone call ends, which I think I made a mistake on it in setting it up, uh, that, give me five minutes and dial back in. I'll reopen it. 
Okay, continue. You can continue, Hagen. I just wanted. I just looked at the clock, and I don't okay. know how this works. If it ends, you right. can just dial back in. I'll, give me five minutes to reset it up. Okay, you All can right. continue. Well, all right, but I, I would just say this, you know, I believe we're heading in the right direction. I think we are having an effect. I, I believe that most of the country is watching what we do here. But I can tell you, I had a tough time with the group of people that I meet with, 15, 20 people at a time coming to the meeting. Uh, if we got them all together and had them come faithfully, we'd probably have 25 or 30. But, you know, it doesn't matter. But it takes more than one person. And I think that if we continue with the process that we're using and moving forward and educating these people. Most people are patriotic. They do want, they do want government uh, according to the rule of law. And we teach them what the rule of law is and the things that they're doing wrong. I think we'll turn it around. I think we've got a golden opportunity at this time with Trump being the president because it is make America great again, and I, I use this all the time. Let's make Marion County great again by turning it back to the lawful government uh, under rule of law centered on the Constitution. And with that, I yield. Okay, can I ask a question? Sure. Yes. Okay. Now, I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I think you're absolutely on the right track. Uh, we've been doing similar things just to, in, in different ways. Um, I believe that we have about 14 or 15 months before the midterm election cycle starts. Uh, do you think that you're going to actually uh, engage enough people to actually cause a change in the way things are done in the next 14 months? Now, I, I, can, so. I can answer uh, what I've been reading Gary, out there. wait a minute. No. Okay. I've got a reason for what I'm asking. All right, then I'll let you go. If I may take a stab at that. Yeah, please do. Okay. Well, um, first off, you know, are you really wanting to um, are you really wanting to change um, the government that is there in the corporation that is there? I mean, are you really wanting to leave that corporation in place and just put somebody else in charge of it? No, uh, for us here in Colorado, we're not. No, I, um, I agree with we, you. We, we don't vote in, in their elections, and, and we don't take place on them. Our whole focus is on setting up our assemblies and our states and our counties. And, you know, I didn't get a chance to, to say a whole lot about this, but, um, you know, this is happening nationwide. Um, uh, we have a, um, uh, a nationwide judges call on uh, judges, marshals, and grand jury administrators calls on Wednesday nights, which typically there is a hundred or more people on there. Back when I used to um, host the call, we had up to 800 people on there. But we have now um, somewhere in the neighborhood of... Um, uh, 30 states that are all in the process um, or in some way, shape, or form setting up their grand juries and um, their assemblies. So there's a lot of people doing this nationwide. And, you know, I think the best focus that we can have is actually getting our assemblies set up in our counties and getting our, our counties back to a constitutional state. Once you have three counties in a state, 
then you can go back and you can do um, the state. I yield. Now, let me build upon that. Uh, I've seen people referencing that they've actually certified votes for seat in the de jure uh, government system. If we expanded on something like that and filled the seats inside counties and states and and have that lawful de jure state, that lawful de jure state has the power over the corporation because the corporation is at the will of the state and you can dissolve it. But uh, you, the idea of sort of get enough people to realize we want a real vote uh, to set our governors and uh, senators and you know, elected officials uh, to make a campaign like we did here in Maine. We went uh, did the whole caucus system, took over the Republican Party, but we could educate and actually try to run and fill the seats of the de jure state. Uh, I'm intrigued with that idea, and some people haven't completed it fully, but they have completed some of it. So that's that would answer how to elect into the de jure. And if we can do it big enough, uh, it has the power over that corporation because it is the real one. The corporation is actually a a fiction. So, but you know, those are things for future discussions. Once you get get a body of men together to demand, like here in Maine, under Article One, Section Two, that we have the authority, and this is we're insisting that they abide by the law of that Constitution, which in Maine is the law of the state, and the federal Constitution is the law of the land. And if I may, yes, go on. So as we thought through the problem in Florida, one of the uh, research projects we did is I personally went to talk to five different sheriffs across the state in different counties. And what I discovered is that there were a few of them that really were knowledgeable that they were inside a corporation, that they were not doing their constitutional job, and would like to move back but didn't know how. And when I say didn't know how, it's about the economics, the budget for their office and the budget for their, for their salaries. So when we crafted the draft constitution for a county, back up a little bit, by the way, when, when you send your tax bill into your county, you're fully anticipating that those dollars are going into the public treasury, but they're not. They're, they're going into a corporate treasury, which is a federal crime of conversion. So when we recognized the problem, we said, okay, how can we deal with this in the Constitution of the county? And we put into that Constitution that one of the first jobs is to elect a de jure treasurer, and then you announce that, uh, and, and uh, the, the assembly would uh, pass a resolution giving the treasurer the authority to open up accounts on behalf of the county, and then you announce to the public that the money that they send now needs to go to the public treasury, and we shut down the corporations by starving them of, of public funds. That's been the big issue. We don't know if it'll work or not. This is our theory that it should work, but no one's tried it out yet. I yield. 
If I may. Sure. Uh, let me say something about that. <clears throat> I'm doing a test here in Marion County right now. I just paid the property taxes for my home here. And I also paid, I have a building, a commercial building in Pennsylvania. And I paid the taxes there. And I did them both with a check. Now, it was, it was an interesting and, and uh, actually uh, enjoyable experience, what I did. I went in, very nicely introduced myself to the people at the desk, and I said, I'm here to pay my property taxes. And uh, they said, okay, uh, name and so forth. And they looked it up, and they said, okay, how do you intend to pay this? And I said, uh, I'm going to pay by check. And the girl said, well, you can only do that uh, with a uh, government-issued ID. Do you have a driver's license? I said, no. She said, yes, you do. And I said, uh, no, I don't. Yes, you do, she said. I said, you need to bring your supervisor out here. I'm not going to argue with you. I do not have a driver's license. And the um, supervisor come out, and she says, well, why don't you have a driver's license? I said, that is really none of your business. I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful to you. She said, yes, you do. I said, okay. You want me to be disrespectful? Fine, I will. Bring your supervisor out here. So she brought the third one out, and, and I said, now, if you don't accept this check as payment for these property taxes, because this is a negotiable instrument. As soon as I said negotiable instrument, she said, oh, no, we're going to accept your check. No problem. <clears throat> so what they didn't know that I was going to do I wrote uh, on, on the recipient of the check, I wrote Marion County Public Treasury. I did not write tax collector, which is what they want you to do. That's the corporation. And um, I did it at both places. And I've instructed my bank to inform me of the uh, process of that check. I'm tra tracking those checks. And if I find that those, which I know I will, that those are corporate bank accounts, then I will charge them with conversion, which is a crime under Title 18 of the United States Code. So with that, I wanted to let you know the process that I'm using to expose the, the corporate fraud, fraudulent nature of what they're doing. So there's a lot of things that we can do, and with that, I yield. Okay. Uh, can I ask a question on that uh, constitutional uh, county structure? Um, if you're going to set up a, a constitution for the counties, how do you deal with currency when Article 1, Section 10 of the federal constitution for the several states says no state shall make anything or cause anything but gold or silver coin to be used as tender and payment of debt? And since 1971, there hasn't been a conversion factor. There's no way for that to happen. So how are you going to set up a constitutional county? By moving it back to gold and silver as the last um, regulated by Congress, of course, under Article 1, Section 8, they have the authority to coin money and regulate the value of it and of the foreign coins. And also, as you reiterated there, uh, no state shall accept anything but gold and silver in payment of debt. So we move it back to the county constitution, and whoever is in office has to see to it that that 
Congress did with the Federal Reserve Act, I want to point out to you, if you don't already know, you may, but indulge me if you would. The, the congressional acts are called acts because they're not real. They're phony. Uh, you know, I could say I'm John Wayne, but that doesn't make me John Wayne. So uh, we move them by the authority of the people back to the constitutional provision uh, as the Constitution was done. So when we create the county constitution, we bring in Article 1, Section 8, and Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution because we can't have another constitution that's different or, or in, in um, I don't want to say this, uh, not in compliance with the U.S. Constitution because of the supremacy clause. So I, I believe that that's the answer to your question. If I, I'll try further if that's not sufficient, but without a yield. Now, Jack, does that, uh, that answer what you wanted there? I guess. Jack? Hopefully we didn't bore him to sleep. Jack's phone has a tendency to go out like that many times. Okay. What I wanted to ask uh, tonight also was Bruce in an explanation and covering the notice of fraud that they're filing against their people in Colorado. And if he could describe the procedure so we have that, so we can review it as a possible activity for Maine here. <clears throat> yeah, what we're doing with that is... Um, you know the assembly. Uh, we bring the um, the evidence before the assembly that this person did not have a valid oath of office or a um, valid bond, and of course none of them have valid bonds because they're all using uh, CTSI crime insurance. And we bring that before the uh, assembly and take a vote, and um, usually it's unanimous for that person to um, be put on the notice of fraud. But we actually go um, to each county and, uh, or, or the state wherever, you know, depends on whether it's a county official or a state official, <clears throat> and we um, pull their um, oath of office, a copy of that, and, um, and look at the date that it was filed by Colorado Constitution, by the uh, Constitution for the United States and the general laws of um, Colorado, they have to have a valid oath of office and bond in place before they um, take office. And if they do not, then uh, the general laws of Colorado says that that office is vacant. And then they therefore are occupying a, a vacant office and, um, and um, uh, taking funds uh, erroneously from the people. And so, um, uh, you know, once we pull the oath of office and there's no official bond with it and stuff, we take a vote and then we put that, um, put them on the notice of the fraud. Each individual that is put on the notice of fraud um, is sent a registered copy of the notice of fraud as well as it is published. I yield. Now, some, uh, somewhere along the line, you guys, uh, you, you bang it up real good. I mean, it's probably one of the most successful areas we've seen in the country here. 
you tried a, a mission to go and actually get your county sheriffs involved in a, with your court system. Could you describe any... Uh, I know it wasn't entirely successful, but you moved the ball forward. Could you describe... Are you talking about when I went to remove a judge from the bench, or are you talking about uh, me meeting with county sheriffs? I'm not sure which one you're referring to. Okay, the meeting with the county sheriffs. I've had several meetings with the county sheriffs um, and with several county sheriffs. Um, We have one that um, really is a good, good constitutional sheriff. He wants to... Um, follow the Constitution, yet he is part of the corporation and his pay for himself and his deputies are all um, uh, tied into that corporate structure. So until we can come up with a way to get him paid, then, um, you know, we can't move him from that. But he's willing to if we can figure that problem out. So we're starting green here. We've done remonstrances and uh, Republican parties and stuff. Any advice to how do we? Yeah, get... you know, none of that stuff with the corporate government is going to work. They're they're a corporate government. You're you're not going to be able to turn them that way. It's it's really we tried doing that years and years ago. That's all a waste of time. Um, you know, I, they've got a good thing going where they're racketeering and stealing from the people, and they're not going to give that up. Um. And you may run into some people that when you expose that to them, they're willing to do something about it. But, you know, uh, but the corporation is much bigger than them. So the only way to really do this, and and Roger, I think, and and Hagen can back me up on this, is you have got to form the, the new government yourself. Those offices are sitting there vacant. They're ready for you to fill those offices, but... You've got to get the people involved. And you've got to remember that when you put these public notices out for assemblies and stuff, you know, government is formed from those that participate, not from those that want to sit and complain about it and drink their beer and watch their football games. I yield. Yeah, and that's in law, too. I mean, there, there's specific law on on that, and I guess that was the only the Magna Carta that, uh, it's the ones who show up and vote. I mean, uh, and then, you know, we can vote our original state back into order. Uh, well, the, the more people we have noticed that, you know, once you get the ball rolling, more and more people get involved. When they learn that they can actually um, participate in government and that their vote counts, then more and more people um, get involved. I mean, we have um, hundreds of people um, here in in Colorado that are participating throughout the state. Now, suppose... Oh, let you me, may. Okay. Yeah, go go ahead. Then I'll, I'll follow up with this other question. Go ahead. While we're on the voting subject, uh, for those of you, I've talked to Roger and to uh, uh, others about this, uh, Judge uh, Bissett also, um, Article 1, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution uh, has a statement in there in part where it says, and the electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite of the electors of the most famous branch of the state legislatures. 
didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and I searched for many years trying to find the answer to what they meant by that. The answer all the time was right in my face, and it was too plain for me to see. But the answer is in Fellows 52. James Madison explained it, and he said that the the, the uh, uh, election process was not left to the Congress nor the states for the same reason. It was left to the people alone. So the statutory uh, elections that they're holding are fraudulent elections. So when we're thinking about our de jure offices, they're not being filled by duly elected uh, officers of the people. And we have these voting machines and all these things that gives no confidence in the elections, and the elections are not done by ballot the way that the, the rules require. So uh, I think if we want to fill the elections, the suggestion that we need to fill the de jure offices is doable and within the law, but I think before we attempt it, we need to educate, we need to tell, you know, have a talk with the sheriff, give him the documents, showing that we can do these things. We have to make sure that we're not going to get arrested when we go and do it. But I believe with all my heart that we have every authority to do this thing and do it. But we need to set up rules. We need to set up a process where we take over the elections and put those people in office and then claim those offices. No one's ever, no one, as far as I know, since the incorporation in the 18, uh, 1860s to 70s, uh, has ever claimed those lawful offices. We have allowed them to change fundamentally the system in America and make it a corporate system as opposed to a de jure system under the constitutional rule of law. With that, I yield. Okay, the follow-up question to that is, I, I've been reading the, the information. I don't have the factual evidence at hand that, our corporation, called the United States Corporation, the District of Columbia one, has gone bankrupt. And they couldn't reseat that corporation successfully, so therefore it really doesn't exist. But they're still operating the same franchise, state, county, and towns with a defunct and bankrupt corporation that actually doesn't exist. Where am I wrong with it not it being out of existence already? Uh, this is dealing with uh, Anna von Reitz and defending America. So therefore, Rothschilds couldn't take over the defunct America. Uh, I'm looking for information that we can actually put it into a lawful notice of Coronto or sex and file it against our counties, our towns, and the government to force them back to the American constitutional state, the union of state, and the government of the people. Uh, I, 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 I may? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, honestly, I don't think that'll work, Gary, and it's because... You're you're asking a crook to to stop being a crook and giving up his money. It's not going to work that way. You're going to have to put the hard work in of forming your assemblies in your counties and in setting up your governments. With that, I yield. Well, I was planning on pursuing the Article 61 by the Carter 25 man 
to bring the case forward and then, you know, getting the sheriff or somehow raising that grand jury to bring the case to it, uh, serve the warrant uh, against the Okay, you you don't want a sheriff bringing forth a grand jury because the, the sheriff works for the corporation. The people need to bring forth the grand jury, not the sheriff, not the government. The government does not bring forth the grand jury. I yield. Uh, describe me the, the actual process, how the people bring forth that grand jury. I, I'll they, yield that question to Roger. I would like to take a stab at that, stab at that yeah, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead, please. Number one, uh, you first form the assemblies of the people in the county. And you educate, you know, you, you, you're going to start off with just a few people. You're not going to have a lot. But you get the few educated, and we're well on our way here in Marion County as well as some other counties in Florida doing that. Once you do that, you also bring in the idea, and it's not just an idea, it's a law of the militia. The Second Amendment makes it totally clear that a well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to a free state, uh, the militia is the enforcement. We haven't used it. We haven't told people that. We've let the propagandized word militia linger out there with people thinking that we're a bunch of nutballs because of a lack of education. But as we bring these people along, we create, we, we bring about the militia, we get it started, we put it out in the open, we meet with the sheriff, we tell the sheriff we're doing it, and there's nothing you can do about it. If you try, we're going to sue you in your private capacity, but we don't want to battle with you but we are going to reinstitute the lawful government here in this country, and, and if you try to stop us, we, we will punish you for it. So, you know, and you do it in a nice manner, a nice way, and you bring on your grand juries. You form the grand juries in the counties, and you form them in the statewide. Now, we form the statewide first, but that's okay. We're going back and, and doing the things that we didn't do. So I suggest that's how we do it, and this is how we're going to fill the, the your offices and eliminate the corporate officers, they're not going to give it up easily. They're going to fight us to the nail the way they can, and they're go- even going to arrest people where they think that they can get their point across and scare everybody else. But if we stand firm and we're not afraid, you know, I, I, I love the quotes in the Bible where Christ is telling the people, uh, you know, uh, be not afraid. Uh, you know, he is our protector. Uh, when you go to another town, uh, worry not about what you say or what you'll eat because he provides for you and he'll fill your mouth. You know, I, I've experienced those things, and, and, and I love that it's there, and, and I know that it's, uh, it works, and I think this is where we have to stand. We have to stand firm in doing these things, bringing the your government forward by those steps, creating the assembly first, creating, uh, uh, beginning the creation, recreation of the militia, and and uh, then the uh, the grand juries, and back it up. Don't back down from nobody. Put it right out in the open. Put it in the face where they have to deal with it, and let them try to throw off. As long as you stay within the law, let them try to rebut what you're saying. Don't you try to rebut theirs. It's not necessary because they're they're a farce. They're a pony. I yield. If I may. If I may. Uh, just, a quick, uh, just a quick question, uh, Bruce. Then, uh, Hagen, do you have in your organization a website that has a lot of this structured information up? 
No, sir, I don't. Uh, you know, we we just got one guy that came on board. I'm I'm computer illiterate. Roger will tell you. Uh, you know, and I really don't want to learn it. I mean, I prefer doing what I do because I'm good at it. And God has, has granted me uh, the the wisdom and and the uh, respect from other people to respect you know my leadership, and uh, I, I really appreciate that. But I'm I'm a very humble person, but I do not have computer skills to do that, and I wish I did. But we've got a guy now who has promised he's going to do it for us here in Marion County, and we will be putting out some tremendous stuff for people to see. Yeah, this is this is the form of education that I'm looking for is. To start figuring out sensible data that I can send to the people I know personally in this area so that we can get this assembly system on the rise, start the conferences, and then put some smart people's heads together and figure out what are we going to do? How do we go? What do we, and this is what Florida's doing, this is what Colorado's doing, this is what Michigan's doing. I'm looking at all this data and my head is just about ready to explode, trying to sort it out to a detail, a progress procedure plan. And then I end up 40, 50 pages of data that I get lost in. <laughs> so anyway, I, uh, now, Bruce, I'll let you, you, you wanted to. So, uh, yeah, I want to I speak to something very important that Hagen pointed out. And, um, and, and I want to tell a little story for everybody that actually happened to me as well. Um, you know, this is a spiritual battle that we're fighting. The Bible tells exactly. us that, and we all have to be aware of that. But one of the important things to learn in this, and I had to learn this, actually it wasn't the hard way, but I, Heavenly Father had to show this to me um, before I was no longer afraid. Um, you know, when, when I finished my Ph.D. in law, uh, the, the uh, people in Colorado approached me and asked me if I would become a Superior Court judge um, for We the People. And I, I turned them down to start with because I really didn't feel I'm, I'm a very much um, spiritual and I believe in, in the good book and Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And I didn't feel like I had the right to judge anyone. Well, that being said, you know, I, I told them that I would pray about it. And after about three months, I got an answer from Heavenly Father that, you know, a common law judge, a superior court judge has no power. I mean, we can only adjudicate cases of $20 or less. All of the, the judgments are done by the grand jury of 25 or the petite jury of, of 12. So the judges have no, really don't do any judgment at all. Anyway, that being said, um, I finally accepted um, the position as a Superior Court Judge for We the People in Colorado. And um, after I did that, the grand jury had indicted a judge um, in a, a, a seated judge in Colorado in um, uh, our largest courthouse here. And, you know, the spirit kept leaving me that, okay, I've, I've got to go remove this judge from the bench. Well, you know, I tried coming up with one excuse after another as to why it wasn't the right time to do that. 
Um, to be honest with you, I was scared to death. Nobody had ever tried to remove a seated judge from the bench before, even though I knew I had the authority to do it and it was uh, lawful and righteous. Um, I was still scared to death. Well, you know, as the spirit sometimes works, it finally came to the day that I could no longer give an excuse as to why I shouldn't do that. So um, myself and um, uh, and uh, some people from the grand jury um, here in Colorado went down to the courthouse to remove this judge from the bench. Now, I wanted to do this lawfully and peaceably. So when I got into the courthouse, I asked to talk to the deputy sheriff that was in charge of the courthouse, and they got him for me, and I said, um, I need a conference room so I can um, sit down and explain this paperwork to you and what I'm going to do. And I had the presentment from the grand jury um, with with me as well as um, my credentials and stuff. And um, so I started going over those with the deputy sheriff. As soon as I informed the deputy sheriff that I was there to remove the judge from the bench, then the deputy sheriff arrested me for impersonating a federal judge. And I will have to say, right up until that point, while I was doing all of the explanation of the grand jury order and all of that, I was very nervous and afraid. But as soon as he accused me of that, for some reason, I was no longer in fear. The fear just completely left me. And I said, as he was putting the handcuffs on me and stuff, I said, I'm a lawfully seated judge. My credentials are sitting there on the table. You had best check those out. And so they handcuffed me and threw me in a cell. Well, while I was in the cell, of course, I was very calm. I was kind of um, humming a tune and tapping my legs and, and um, uh, you know, praying to Heavenly Father. And about 20 minutes later, this deputy sheriff came down and said, Oh, Judge Doucette, we are so sorry. We, we, we didn't arrest you. We were just detaining you until we, until we checked your credentials. And, and, and please don't take any actions against me. But the nearest I can figure is what had happened is they took my credentials to one of the judges because there's like 30 or 40 judges in this courthouse. It's the largest courthouse in Colorado. And somebody recognized that I was a lawful judge. And not only that I was a lawful judge, but there are rules that keep people from, um, from uh, you know, suing them if they do something wrong didn't apply to me. Uh, the moral of that story is, is that Heavenly Father was trying to teach me not to be in fear, not to be in fear at all, and that what I was doing was righteous. Um, so as we pr proceed with what we're doing, we have to stop being afraid at all because we are doing the right thing. And as long as we're doing it lawfully and peaceably, it's what Heavenly Father wants us to do. And he is truly our only protection. With that, I yield. Yeah, I'd like to chime in on that. Is we've got we to be in contact with a spiritual advisors to... To get our messages on which direction or help that we we need, and uh, it does provide. So, 
Any other questions or anything we have that actually be pertinent to discuss to try to move Maine into the same areas or towards the same areas as you're doing in Florida, Colorado, uh, I guess Oregon, and uh, Michigan. I'd like to go Maine on that map. Yeah. There you go. Um, just a couple of simple rules of thumb here. One is we have a rule of thumb that, that we've got to engage. These guys are are practicing what we call we have a we have a declaration that goes along with the constitution for the county. It's called Declaration of Lawlessness with Harmful Intent. And it has just like the founders put in the Declaration of Independence their grievances, we have a complete list of grievances updated to today's corporate um, de facto and what they're doing to hurt the people. So what we don't do is we never go into their statutory courts if we can help it. We just say, no, 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 we do either a presentment or indictment from the grand jury or we do a, common, uh, a court of record. And as Bruce indicated, the court of record is working um, pretty well it's important to understand that the grand jury has the authority to reach into both the statutory jurisdiction and the common law jurisdiction. It's like a linchpin between the two jurisdictions. And the statutory police can't really reach into the common law jurisdiction, but the grand jury can reach into both. And it is a big education effort, but we we try to pick something that is meaningful, that is causing pain to the people, and then we focus on on understanding what the founders' design really was. And uh, for example, I know Gary's heard this, but in Article Three, Section Two, Clause Three. The founders wrote a simple sentence that says, the trial of all crimes accepting cases of impeachment shall be by jury. Not judge with a jury, not jury with a judge, but by jury. By jury. Because the founders realized that the number one way the king delivered tyranny into society was through the judges. So the founders said there will be no judges in any criminal trial. And then you go into the civil trial, you, you've got to look at uh, the Seventh Amendment, and it says in suits where the value in controversy is $20 or more, the right of a trial by jury shall be preserved. And that means that the only lawful right or role that the founders created for judges was civil cases where the value in controversy is $20 or less. So imagine how brain conditioned we are that when television first came out and they ran Hollywood, got together with a bar and they ran the Perry Mason show and they convinced us all that the judge in the black robe was, was king of the court. That was so far off from what our founders gave us and it was so far off from what was really going on. But we, we all became mind conditioned and we accepted it. And now if you look at the problems of say, Trump trying to make America great again, where is the opposition going to block them? They're trying to use the statutory judges. So in Marion County, uh, they're focusing on a couple of priorities. In Manatee County, 
it looks like our our focus is going to be short term to really focus on the judges and uh, use the notice of fraud and use the study that came out recently from the newspaper. Believe it or not, the mainstream media did a one-year study that discovered statistically significant bias in in sentencing black people versus white people for the same crimes. The blacks typically get 50 to 150 percent more time. So at the end of the day, uh, you got to engage with these folks. If we if we stay at home and we don't fill the vacant de jure offices, that's acquiescence. We're we're acquiescing to their corporate form of government. There is a charge, one charge below a criminal charge, one below treason. It's called contempt of constitution. And any time they're operating a corporate form of government, it is in contempt of Article 4, Section 4, the Republican form of government. We need to publicize it. We need the grand jury to issue a presentment. We need to put these people on the notice of fraud. We've got to use whatever tools available to peaceably and lawfully regain the lawful government our founders gave us. I yield. And that is our goal. Now, you mentioned having a, a declaration of uh, violations, anyways. I don't know. Can't recall exactly how you. Is that available to review someplace, or yes. could you email yes. it? It's in, it's, it's in the document I sent you. That's the Marion County Constitution draft. Oh, okay. It's the first, All right, good. It's the first. Uh, I think it's like twelve or fourteen pages, or something. The first twelve or fourteen pages is the declaration of lawlessness with harmful intent. Okay, cool. And by the uh, way, just. Just so you know, the history shows that when the king started to do things that were recognized as lawlessness with harmful intent, that's when the colonists started setting up their committees of safety and started to run their own show. So that's really why we use that title, because we the people have all the inherent political power is with us, and when you get a corporate de facto government that is really harming the people, it's our duty. According to the Declaration of Independence, it is our duty to stand up and and put new guards in place for our security. That's right. And the Declaration says we get a right to abolish the government if it goes the wrong way. Maine has it in our Constitution here, uh, Article 1, Section 2. People are just going to look for real and, and accomplish this. Now, something I can offer you guys, if you haven't heard it, it is a – we have a book that was wrote, oh, I guess published in 1992 by the, a member of the Maine Judiciary Bar Association, and it's called 100 Years of Law and Justice. And they thought they did a marvelous job in – Modernizing American Law. Well, that book exposed exactly how they did all of it. And we have the, we found the book in our archives here in our state capital. And Phil, I don't know if he's still on uh, online. I'm listening. Go ahead. Yeah. Phil wrote a marvelous synopsis of that. 
And that is available. If you do is email me and we can get that to you for understanding of how the we, we realize the bankers came in and funded the Bar Association. We can we see the evidence in the Chris accounts, uh, stuff like that. They they come in and organize these lawyers to take over the seats of our government. Well, you find it in that 100-year on law and justice, and they stated by 1959, whereas the schools don't teach common law anymore, they're not testing on it anymore. So, therefore, they don't deal in any common law. It's all the administrative law. And they boast about this. You got anything else to describe on that, Phil? Uh, no, I, I, I think he did a good job of that. Uh, I just want to add this one thing. When when this pamphlet was, or book, whatever you want to call it, was put out, um, it was handed out to all the lawyers at that time. One book went into archive, and um, it's available to anybody who goes into the main law library. I was the second person in over 20 years to ever take that out. To look at yeah the cat had you 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 were the second person to ever signed that book out yeah and we gave that we we laid that before the the governor in one of the remonstrance meetings mm-hmm. did we lay did it you there say, Gary, what's that i'm sorry gary did you say that you could send us a copy of phil's uh memo as well as the book or is the book not oh yeah no, the, oh, you, you won't get the book you won't get the book but what you will get is uh, is my opinion, and it's it's really not opinion. It's common sense. Yeah, you uh, read it and you annotated it. And you brought out the, all the pertinent subjects that we needed to know in our remonstrance. Yep, page by page. Okay, now I have could. it. It is in a PDF form. It was PDF, yeah. and I right. have that copy. I can send to anyone in America because it's the same thing done to your state. They patterned it. Maine mm-hmm. is yeah. the original criminal state. They're the one. It was our senators that created the 1871 Corporate Act of District of Columbia and, and took over. And they took over Maine. They created Maine out of the New York bars or lawyers. Was they needed another voting block because there's too many South states rising, so they split Maine from uh, Massachusetts. So we're the original criminal state. Uh, Gary, that, if you could send that to me, I'd appreciate it. I'll send it out to Hagen and to Bruce. That subject brought up another point. Uh, okay, one of our guys, it, Jason. Wait a minute, before you do, let me let me just type in uh, here, then I'll listen to you. Roger. Yeah, I'll send you both of those because they're very, uh, very good documents, and then. One of the researchers of our team is Lise, and she wrote an uh, excellent book. Oh, it's not laying here. It always has been. Uh, you remember the, uh, the name of that book, Phil? Yeah, give me a second. I could just reach over and pull it out of here. Ugh. It's how they did it to Maine. It's a whole history of the stealing away this constitution of Maine. Hmm. And it's, it's not expensive on... Uh, at uh, I believe it's still at Amazon.com. If yeah, not, so, um, uh, where did the constitutional, or where did the original constitutional state go? 
Lee spent six years researching that in the archives. And uh, this is work we've done here in Maine. we just got to figure out what to do about all this crime that we have dug, dredged up. So, But that law book is... It, it even They even described that they had 75% of the Senate and 57% of the House. And then they took over, by taking over all the seats of our government, they could vote anything they wanted. They created the main judiciary corporation. And the only thing it doesn't identify, when did they create the corporation as on Dun & Bradstreet? By number, when did they create main corporation? No one's answered that yet or found any of the documents in legislature. So, so we've done a lot of our work. I'll let you guys talk to them. I learned from other people. And uh, our, you know, so far, uh, but the guiding one was the one on the lawyers. So, Roger, I'll send that down to you. I'll even send you the link that you can get it from Dottie's site because I think, I, I think the book is too big to email. There, there. You can download the PDF from Dottie's site, anyway. So I do one or the other. I know I can email Phil's annotated uh, description of that. Right. So, if I may, important data. It's, it's history that you need to know in your head. Then you know how they did it. And then they must yep. have done it in 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 every state. Oh, they organized. That's what the Bar Association yep. was. They, they was their organization. Now every corporation is run by a bio lawyer. Mm-hmm. If I may? Sure. One of our guys, his name is Hoyt, last name H-O-Y-T. Say the name again. What's his name again? H-O-Y-T. Hoyt. Hoyt. Okay. Hoyt. H-O-Y-T. Jason Hoyt. He did a deep dive going back to before the Magna Carta and wrote a book called Consent of the Governed, and it gives you all of the history of the grand jury all the way up to present. So consent if you've got anybody... Governed, and consent of the Governed. Consent of the Governed. By Jason Hoyt? Correct. And you can get it in Amazon. Okay. Now, I downloaded the... I don't have the title right in front of me. Do I... The one that you mentioned earlier. uh, The People's Panel. Yeah. I downloaded that, and I only scanned it. It was sideways, so I had to upright it. uh, Right, right. And... there, most of these old books you can get at the archive.org, and they have the books that's in the Library of Congress. And mm. any of the old, there's another book that I did pull on Abraham Lincoln that was very telling about him being the bio lawyer and all that crime. Mm. I get that downloaded from uh, the archive. And then there's cool. another site that, if you're interested in research, it's the Library of Congress on all of the publications of America, new, uh, newspapers. And you can go mm-hmm. by date and uh, plug in what area of the country and pick up the papers of the day. And it was amazing to read how 
the whole public of America was against a civil war, but the criminal uh, Lincoln and all the men that took the seats of our government and seated their own people to replace the South, mm. they went and produced this whole war themselves. It wasn't the people. And there was people in all the states and articles all across the states that was rallying against such a civil war system. And uh, when you start reading the news of that day, it was amazing to see how powerful that these money men had just to even foment this civil war that took over America. And they they did it step by step on it. Hey, I need to jump in here a second. Um, I've got to get my wife ready for bed, so I'm going to sign off here. Um, yeah, we can call this good. Uh, I'm glad you – I don't know where Jack went to, or he probably lost his battery yeah. uh, or something. But this is going to be on record. Hopefully, I don't know if it ended at the 45-minute mark or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got enough notes here. And Roger and Bruce and uh, – Hagen, thank you for coming on and informing us. Can't thank and you. Uh, Gary and, yeah. and Phil, um, thank you for having us on. And, and you know, uh, we look forward to, to working with you in the future and anything we can help you guys with, um, you know, of course we're here for that. Right. You know I'm working with you guys out there the best I can to learn your stuff, but I can't teach you anything. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> Well, you know, there's there's one thing I do want to leave with you guys. Um, for seven years, I've been trying to find the smoking gun. And um, what I mean by that is we know that we have a U.S. Constitution. We know we have state constitutions. could never find anything in any one of these that gives the people the bite to to gain back their government. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is that we're looking for for the teeth to be able to get these people for what they're doing. Um, Gary had mentioned the uh, lady that we work with, uh, Lise, and one day she and I were talking about oaths, the oath of office. Now, when you study the Bible or you study history of this country, you actually have to put yourself into the frame of mind that these people had at that time. And just the shake of a head, the shake of a hand, the the, the word was so respected. You, you just did not go against your word. If you took an oath, uh, an oath, that was so sacred, you did not violate that in any way, shape, or form. So we were talking about the oaths that people take today and how it's nothing but a ceremony. And I said, it can't be a ceremony. Once they give that oath, you've got to hold them to that oath, even though they don't understand the ramifications of violating that oath. Well, for seven years, I was trying to find the smoking gun that will force the the teeth in the Constitution. So she sends out a lot of paperwork to me, and uh, I'm reading it one day. She sent out to me, and you might want to write this down. This is the laws of the United States. The acts of the first Congress of the United States. Now, this okay, was... Uh, hold, it, hold it. Before you give that out, I want to write that down. I think it's what you already gave me before, but 
If it is, if it's new. Well, okay, you can look on. it up on. You can get get it yourself right on the internet. It's there. But you know, if you just put in um, what I'm telling you, you 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 won't get it. You really have to. I'm ready. I'm ready to right now. I just uh, wasn't in the place. I thought you were gonna. Okay, go ahead, continue. I'm sorry to okay. interrupt. Okay. No, no, that's okay. This was passed at the first session, which was begun and held in the city of New York on Wednesday, March 4th, 1789. Then it was continued to September 29 in 1789. Get a load of this. George Washington, President John, who was the president, John Adams, who was the vice president of the United States, and president of the Senate, Frederick Augustus, uh, Augustus Malerbo, I can't even pronounce his name, and then the Speaker of the House of the Representatives. This was Statute 1, Chapter 1. And there was several sections that, that were put in after this uh, Statute 1, Chapter 1, but the one that I think is the most important is Section 4. And there's a, there's a section in there that says, and such officers shall incur the same penalties in the case of failure. Now, they're talking about failure of not taking the oath because the oath held more power than, 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 um, than the actual violation. So it read, you can read it yourself in Section 4, and such officers shall incur the same penalties in case of failure as shall be imposed by law in case of failure in taking their respective oaths of office. That means if they didn't take an oath, they get penalized. If they violate their oath, they get penalized. Gentlemen, this is the smoking gun. Yeah, that's different than the one that you gave me earlier. Okay. And that's in the statute at large. And that's for you. Well, this was the very, very first statute ever created. George Washington and President John Adams got together with the uh, President of the Senate and the Speaker of the House. They they put in Statute 1, Chapter 1, and Section 4 is the smoking gun. It actually says they will be penalized. Bill, if it's possible, could you send uh, an email summary of what you just said to Gary and let him get it to us? Well, yeah, I can do like that. To... I could do that. But um, what I usually tell people to do is to do this on your own. And then somebody won't say, well, where did you get this? Oh, I got this from Phil. Oh, that wacko. That's the reason why I usually tell people to look it up yourself. Yeah, and by the way, you guys may be in danger talking to us because we are sovereign terrorists. We've been posted on the front pages <laughs> all over Maine. And uh, actually, uh, his boy read it in London. Yeah, it my boy called me from London. We're, we're international sovereign terrorists. Gary, if possible, could you send us uh, Phil and yeah. Jack's contact info, please? I oh okay. Uh, where was I throwing the order for you? Right here. Oh no, someplace. Okay, I'll find it. Just a second. Computer worked. Okay. Then Jack 
and Bill. You don't mind me sending your phone number, Bill? Oh, no, no, no. By, by all means, do so. And, uh, and so where are you... You're welcome to give my share my phone number and stuff with uh, Bill and Jack as well, please. Yeah, we can be a team. Same. You guys are Mainers now, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, Bill. Yeah. You and me. It, it's glad to see other people from Maine. You know, I was born and raised in Maine, and in um, actually from uh, North Orland, Maine, and you know, I lived there for 17 years. Um, you know, that's where I grew up and lived. Uh, been in Colorado now for oh, about 35, 36 years, but, um, and then I was in Europe for a while uh, before that, but um, all of my family and stuff is from Maine, so, and still lives there. Well, you now, don't Roger, have a Maine accent. Yeah, Roger, you come up here to Maine in the summers. How long do you stay and how long are you up here? Typically two to three months. Hmm. Well, you're going to have to visit with us over here. We're not very far from Bar Harbor. We can have all the meetings with you and bring some people in. Sure. Be happy to. So where are you located? I'm in the town of Lee, which is about 10 miles away from where Gary is, and Gary is two miles away from the center of Lincoln. So we're we're pretty close to each other. No, I'm 1.7 miles off Main Street. Oh, I'm sorry for the point three. All righty. I've got to run. All right. All right. And I gotta run okay, through well, nice talking, yep. gentlemen. Well thank you. Good, night. good night. It's been an extreme pleasure. Thank you yes. guys. Yes. Good night. Good night. You're welcome. Good night. All right. Bye-bye. And good night. Hagan, we'll talk to you later. <laughs>